Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 25. And we are back into preview mode because we are back in Italy for the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix at the Misano World Circuit. Marco Simoncelli this weekend. Uh, myself, Harry Benjamin, Keith Hewin, and Pete McLaren with all the very latest MotoGP news, thoughts, and opinions coming your way. Plus, new champions crowned over the weekend in the World Superport Series and British Superbikes. Plus, uh, with World Superbikes approaching its finale, we'll have a word on that too. But, Mr. Keith, you and you were once again a busy man this weekend back in the BSB uh, paddock for the uh, the showdown of showdowns, the finale. And we do have uh, a BSB champion in Taron McKenzie. How was it? It was brilliant. I mean, it's one of those situations where BSB, British Superbikes, is so easy to get around. I mean, when you've been, you know, seven years recent on MotoGP where the paddock is tight, it's restricted, there's regulations, you know, step over this bloody white line boundary and somebody's on top of you straight away <laughs> looking at your pass. And yet you've got the relaxed BSB paddock. I mean, it's almost embarrassing sometimes. I mean, I stood in pit lane, uh, you know, during the Ducati tri-options um, session, um, bearing in mind that the BSP paddock obviously have all the garages and then everyone else that's going to perform in the next session has to load all their kit and their trolleys and their tyre warmers and their generators in front of those garages. And it's quite narrow, the paddock, uh, pit lane in, in at Brands anyway. There's not, not a lot of room at Brands to, to do anything more with it. Um, so you've got all these guys that are working away and trying to get on with their session. And all of a sudden you've got like, 50 people wandering through like it's like a, a Chinese tour, you know, a person with a flag and all these 50-odd people that are wandering behind them. And they're on the, the Bennett's exclusive VIP tour oh. that moves through. Yeah. And I, I just from a, from a MotoGP perspective, you know, like they'd be shot. <laughs> <laughs> they'd never be allowed to be near the place. So it is a really, really accessible, friendly pattern. And by normal tickets, you can be at the back of the garages anyway. So, you know, you can catch the... And it's got a lovely atmosphere to it. I mean, Brands is brilliant anyway. It's one of my very favourite places to be in the world. So I'm probably a bit biased anyhow. And it's just got a great atmosphere for British Superbikes. I mean, there's not a lot of money. You can tell that there's not a lot of money in the teams and so on. It hasn't really filtered so much to some of the teams. Um, but, you know, but as, a, as, a, as an event, as a, as a showdown, it's just fantastic. And the racing is always good. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? We, we're so spoiled. We've got World Superbikes that's probably at the top of his game at the moment. Well worth watching. MotoGP that's well worth watching. Thanks God they've had holiday. Otherwise, you wouldn't have, you'd never move away from the telly. Um, and BSB is, is well worth watching across all the classes if you can manage to work out where on earth they are in the telly schedule. I don't know whether anybody's tried doing that, but it is like a bloody nightmare. And as the schedules get moved because of rain or weather or whatever it is, just record everything, whatever it is. So if you miss something, you'll be able to get back to it. Um, but from a personal point of view, I mean, uh, 
poor old Jack Burnicle, you know, he, 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 he's, I spoke to him on Wednesday. I got the call again on Wednesday for this weekend for the finale. I thought he would be fit for the finale. So I, <laughs> I had quite a busy week, so I didn't do any prep. And then, of course, Sod's Law yeah. says that Wednesday you get the call um, and all of a sudden you're scratching around in paperwork trying to, because it's that old thing. And, and uh, Pete, maybe not so much you, but Harry, I know for sure. You've never done enough prep. <laughs> It's like you're trying to cram for an exam the day before the exam, and we all know that never works. Yeah. And and it kind of like, and that panic that sort of sinks through. And the fact was, is the first one I'll get away with. You know, I got parachuted in a couple of days beforehand to cover for Jack, um, which is fine. You can get away with a lot of oohs and ahs and whatever else you want to stick in there. The second one you've got to do a bit more work for because they're going to find you out if you don't do a bit of work. But the third one, you've got to be bang on it. Otherwise, you're going to get trolled like mad on Twitter or some other horrible platform. And, uh, and of course, I, I had a bit... And it's the finale, which means it's the end of all the championships and all the other stuff. And you've got, you've got to get your maths right. Podiums for that and, 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 and a trophy that I never even knew about. There's the best of the rest, isn't there? For, for Lee Bob Jackson, of course, finished ninth overall because he couldn't be in the top eight, which were the showdown runners. Um, but there is a there is a place of winning a trophy if you finish ninth or uh, ahead of all the rest, the best of the rest, effectively. I didn't even look that one up. Poor old Lee Bob Jackson. You know, it's one of them ones where I do apologise. I mean, it, it sounds I didn't even know there was one until the weekend. Um, but and then, of course, comes the the traditional um, Sunday night piss up in the paddock, <laughs> which. Uh, it, it, it always sounds better than it actually turns out to be. I mean, the music is great and every, you're moving from tent to tent to, to party to party. There's always parties going on. But by the time it gets to about midnight and it's freezing bloody cold and you've had a really long weekend, and, and, and dare I say it, there's only blokes left in the paddock by this time. <laughs> so, so from that point of view, it's, it's a slightly one-sided um, beer-throwing contest by the time you get to the end of the, in the evening. So you've got to pick your moment to duck out of it. If my voice sounds a little yeah. jaded, it's because it is. I was just about to say, if you are wondering why Keith sounds maybe a little bit lower than usual, uh, <laughs> there's your answer. Air conditioning. I always blame hotel air conditioning when I've been uh, uh, yeah. when I've had a good chat. <laughs> well, it was uh, a great weekend of racing, really, not just in British Superbikes, uh, but Pete also World Supersport crowned a champion as well. Dominique Agata, he's clinched the 2021 World Supersport uh, Super Sport title with his 14th podium of the year. So uh, a good uh, well, not just a good run, a great run for Agata. It is, yes. And also for Tenkate, the team as well. You know, they, they dominated that class for many years with Honda machinery. And then they sort of, they, they were up in Superbike for a bit. Then sort of, they had the rug pulled out from under them when Honda switched sort of allegiance to their own, another team and factory effort. Now they've come back with Agata. Um, you know, Egerton was fighting, of course, also for the Moto E title this year, wasn't he? And that came down to a, a bit of a uh, <laughs> a last like dogfight, shall we say? <laughs> yes. So he lost out on that one, um, but also he had to skip. I think it was at least uh, one World Supersport round, wasn't it? Because of a clash with Moto E. So you know, he's had such an advantage that he's been able to win this title one round early, even though he's been doing Moto E as well. So, yeah, great news for him. You know, he it's the first time he's won a major championship, I think. He's, he's always been he was in Moto2 for many years. Um, and, yeah, he's finally got, got the job done, shall we say. So, congratulations to him. I'll tell you what, great stat this morning I read. Gavin Emmett, that git who took my job at BT. Only joking. Only joking. <laughs> Gavin Emmett put out this morning that 2017 Kiefer Racing Moto2 team wasn't bad after all because... Tara McKenzie, 
Domi Agata were both the Moto T teamsters on Kiefer Racing. Sadly, the year he died, 2017. I mean, Kiefer was a major, major loss. I mean, it was one that, you, you know, died in his sleep overnight. Perfectly fit man. I mean, just one of the shocks of the bloody, well, <laughs> shock of life, I think, with that one. But Kiefer Racing employed both those guys. And here they are, one winning the best domestic championship in the world and the other one winning the mm. Supersports Championship. So I think a legacy to Kiefer Racing, um, from my perspective, and thank you very much, Gavin Emmett, for the stat. Yeah, I saw that very, as well. Brilliant. Stat. I hate stats generally. <laughs> that really was a brilliant stat, and uh, clearly had a, a good eye for talent as well. Um, it was the penultimate round, obviously, as well in Argentina at the weekend in the World Super uh, Super Bikes with uh, Top Rack uh, on for two wins, and Scott Redding uh, taking one. And the final uh, is uh, getting going at the new Mandalika circuit in Indonesia. Top rack with a 30-point lead over Jonathan Ray, then Reading in third still in with a chance. It's all setting up rather nicely in World Superbikes, Keith, isn't it? He who makes a mistake will pay most. <laughs> I mean, I think, again, if we if we use the analogy of, um, of the British Superbikes, I know there's more races, I think, with the British Superbikes in the showdown, but um, O'Halloran came into the showdown with a 30-point lead over everyone else, and he ended up finishing third. Obviously, Taz McKenzie... I mean... It's a, it's a romantic thing, isn't it? I mean, I love seeing all the photographs and stuff like that. It was there was one out this morning from um, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a photograph I saw uh, that that you could see Taz McKenzie on his dad's bike twenty five years ago because his dad won the first of the uh, late era superbike championships in this country in the UK. Um, and there's a picture of Taz on the bike twenty five years ago when his dad did that, and twenty five years on. Taron wins it. You know, there's a slightly romantic angle to it. Um, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> I'll tell you what. When you have a night like you have, like I've had. Yeah. <laughs> It was a good night. <laughs> it's good night. I think where we where were we going with that? I think in the World Superbike final, it's going to be yeah, least the person with the least mistakes. Yeah. Got you. Least mistakes. Harry, thank thank heavens for a young brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> or should I say, one that isn't t- topped up with Jack? Yeah, not yet. Um, yeah, not yet. Yeah, you're, I mean, it's going to be the one who makes the least mistakes. I mean, I love the fact that Scott Redding uh, won a race. I love Scott Redding on the on the podium as well in the Park Ferme when when he was he was doing that. They had that bottle cam, didn't they? The champagne camera where Brilliant, he kind of speaks it? to the bottle. <laughs> and uh, I know that feeling right now. Um, and uh, and he was quoting that, that you know Top Rack was as aggressive as ever, but I got the better of him this time. You know. It, it, Kind of, it's, it's, it's good, isn't it? You've got BSB that's a really friendly environment. You've got the competitiveness of World Superbike, kind of a halfway house between the, the, the MotoGP guys that seem to be very sadly heading towards um, MotoGP in their, in their uh, employment of, of you know, guardians of the white line um, in pit lane or wherever it might be. And, and one of my fears, again, you know what I'm like, off at a tangent, it's probably because I can't remember where I was supposed to be going in this conversation, but anyway, um, is that I think that Dorna will use the pandemic as a bloody excuse for making it like Formula One in the back of the pits. And that will be detrimental to the sport and the fans, in my view. And I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I'm just laying down a marker on this one so we can discuss it next year when we all get back to paddocks and the like. Yeah. I think it's one of them ones where one of the biggest things about British Superbike particularly is fans' access, World Superbike to an extent, fans' access and the 
the way that riders are prepared to spend time to talk to, to fans and, and be more available. And I think MotoGP falls down on this particular front, in my view. What do they gain from doing something like that? Is there, you know, is that mean they can then obviously monetize it in certain ways and make more money? Or is it just a, a bit of a, you know, elitism or so, almost? I think what you've got, I, I, there is an elitism type thing, I think, as well. But I think what you've got is, it is, and this is the difference, MotoGP is intense, absolutely incredibly pressurized. Um, I think the whole thing, you, 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 you're the nth degree, you're the, the pinnacle of our motorcycle sport. And what they have to do to achieve what they achieve is is a, at a much higher intensity. I mean, there will be people who disagree with that. Um, you know, BSB, did Taron McKenzie put in any less effort or any less stress into winning that title than, than say, Marquez in the past or what? Probably not, is the truth of it. I'm sure Taron McKenzie. But when, when I went to, to the Macams garage on Sunday, okay, he was already declared. No, he hadn't been, actually. This was before he was actually declared champion. So there we are in the garage and there must have been a hundred bloody people in there i mean i i couldn't imagine that ever happening anywhere else i mean uh, these are guests of macams guests of guests guests of mine me you know like i wouldn't be allowed to, to walk into a, a motor gp garage well you probably could but you, you'd be frowned on you wouldn't be made welcome welcome and all of that take it can have two effects, can't it? It can relax you because you're in this family-friendly, everybody's... If you're the type of rider that, that I was and could relax with that situation, I liked a lot of people around. I like a buzz. I like to, you know, have a bit of a chin wag on the grid or whatever it might mm. be. But there are a lot of people that react in the opposite way to that, that can't focus, that can't get their brain to be in that zone that they need it to be in. So you can argue it both ways. But it does. It did seem alien to me to be in a BSB paddock where there were so many bloody people that were in the garages and on the pit lane. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm moving again as I do off at a different tangent. I couldn't believe how slippery the little bit of concrete apron in front of the garages were, where these riders come in. Okay, they're on they're on a on a pit lane limiter all the way down the pit lane, but then you turn off the tarmac onto this really slippery concrete. And I had visions of somebody coming in there in a little bit more of a spirited manner, leaving it a little bit later on the brakes and uh, wiping out and taking oh. a dozen bloody punters that shouldn't have been there in the first place down with them. Um, and it could happen in future. I mean, I, I, you know, anybody that listens to this, I mean, if I don't know whether Stuart Higgs ever listens to this podcast. I suspect he probably does because Stuart's across just about everything. He'll be going, hmm, he'll be thinking about it because it, it was bloody slippery. We had a little bit of rain and it made it really greasy in front wow. of those garages. And you could feel the difference between the tarmac and the concrete. Um, and again, being a car man, fixed axle on an IndyCar, I always remember an IndyCar leaving the pit garages somewhere or the other. And as it left with that big wheel spin and bloody methanol sprayed and everybody everywhere <laughs> type thing, as it got half on the tarmac and half on the concrete it just turns straight yeah. round, just swapped ends um so that transition is is quite a quite a tricky one and if you've got as you say Especially when you've got a load of human human barriers well, in the way. yeah if you've got a million bloody people in your box then then that question does become okay well let's allow some people but let's have a cap and let's do it in a, an appropriate way um we spoke a little bit there about um obviously world superbikes and motor gp and jonathan ray in particular thought 
a nice little crossover, a nice little segue, because Rossi in the last week, the great Valentino Rossi, Mr. Pete McLaren, has said uh, it was a great shame, really, that Jonathan Ray never really got a proper MotoGP chance. I think Ray was actually quite buoyed at the fact that Rossi was saying that about him. I mean, just look at the statistics. I mean, a six-time world champion in superbikes, and, and exactly, you, you would think that would automatically enable you to get you know a prime ride in MotoGP, but it just never quite happened for Jonathan. Of course, he did ride the Repsol Honda as a substitute rider, um, but he, he never got the quite quite rightly, I think. When you're that successful, you want to have a top ride, you know, with a factory team, and why should you leave? We're now having this question, aren't we, about top rack as well? Why should they leave a championship where they're at the front to take a bike that maybe is not, you know, if they're not sure of their equipment, let's say, it's going to be a big enough challenge as it is, switching to MotoGP, prototype championship, different tyres, et cetera, et cetera. They want to be sure they're in the best possible situation. And uh, yet, you know, Jonathan clearly didn't feel he had, there was certainly interest from teams. I remember you know, Suzuki, there was also talk about maybe they were, but it never quite happened for whatever reason. And uh, yeah, undoubtedly, you can see why Rossi would say that, you know, look at, look at Ray's success. Um, you would think that it would be great to see what he could do in MotoGP, but sadly it looks like, you know, he's at, he's at the, the wrong end of his career now, isn't he, to make that change? Well, Keith, Ross- Rossi's just getting on the bandwagon. Yeah. Harry. Rossi, <laughs> he's just jumped on the bandwagon. It's what, it's what we've all been saying yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, Tenkata held Jonathan back. Don- Jonathan was doing, on the Tenkata Honda, going back World Superbike again, he was doing stuff on that Honda that everybody in the paddock recognises remarkable, the way he was riding that. And that was the time. I don't The problem is with Honda is you'll never find out what the real deal was behind the scenes. My understanding was that Honda kept on dangling that carrot for for Jonathan and keeping it keeping him in the Tenkata Honda World Superbike team, you know, with the with the the kind of there might be a deal, there might be a deal, there will be a deal kind of thing down the road. Yeah, you know, when we consider when he did ride that Repsol bike, was told not to crash it and finished where he did. I think he showed his talent the couple of times he had a go on a on a MotoGP bike. I don't understand why there's no personality trait that you wouldn't want in your camp. Jonathan Ray is a professional, consummate. You know, his personality might not be to everybody's taste, but then Razgadi Oglu's personality might not be to everybody's taste. Scott Redding's personality, they are, that's the wonderful thing about World Superbike. The individuals that we've got at the moment that are up the front are all so different. You can pick a man that you like the like the, the cut of his jib to go back a, a, a decade or 20. You know, which one do you favour? I mean, Scott Redding, brilliant. Jack the Lad tattoos all up his neck, you know, tells it how it is. Razgati Oglu from a massive, great, bloody Muslim country and, and, a, and a following from the president of the country who's, who's controversial in himself. There's another one you can follow up if you fancy a bit of politics in your bike racing. And, and of course, Jonathan Ray, who comes from a, a region of the UK, that is always under some kind of dispute or another, um, with a, a, a family man with with a great wife, great kids, everything stable. I mean, like some would say boring. Um, but the fact is that will appeal to a lot of people as well. So I think World Superbike have got, they've got great personalities in there at the moment. It surprises me sometimes why it's, uh, it's found itself at the bottom of the pile when it comes to popularity. Well, it's it's one of those great uh, things about racing, isn't it? You you get behind the the riders and the, the stories and the personalities just as much as you get behind, you know, the actual sport and what happens on track. But 
with, with, with Jonathan Ray, I think Rossi said this as well, you know, he thinks Ray could still be fast if he was given uh, a MotoGP opportunity. Do you think it's, it's probably too late now? 100% too late. And why would you? He's, everything's in place for Jonathan at the moment. You know, retirement is the only next thing for Jonathan at the end of the day. Uninjured, hopefully. Family life. You know, he's got out on Phillip Island. You know, he's got connections everywhere he would want to be. I mean, he can do, he can disappear like Casey Stoner and, and, and enjoy himself. I mean, whatever his, his, you know, his expectations out of his later life are, hopefully uninjured. And I'm touching wood as I say it. Um, you know, what a wonderful career. You know, why would you want to go and risk it? The, the, that's the other thing. He, we talk about the the transition period between uh, transition between BSB World Superbike and MotoGP. You are going to ramp up, and I mean it's exponential. When you get to MotoGP, it is a pressure cooker. You know, does he want that? In his, you know, I don't know at what point, say Peter, where you ran out of steam, where you relaxed a bit in your life. You know, when you when you're 18, you're, you're trying to rip all the plants up and, and get everything done. Um, and then slowly but surely you get to your late twenties, and you know there's this kind of a, a little bit of desperation sneaks in for for wanting to get that deal done, whatever it is in life, in your personal life, in your professional life, whatever it might be. Then you're in your thirties, and you start to sort of roll back just a fraction. By the time you get to thirty, you know, in my case, it, I didn't until I got into my forties actually, but I always was late thinking. Um, but most people are starting to. What's that old saying? If you ain't made it by the time you're 35, you ain't going to make it. That, that, and that probably, as a majority goes, is not a bad way of thinking it. You know, you've got to start to relax. You know, your lot is about done in sport, particularly by the time you're 35. Um, would you want to take on, you know, the kind of. When you ride a MotoGP bike, you have got to be prepared to crash every corner. You know, those guys are on the absolute limit. Now, Jonathan Ray is an artist on that Kawasaki. I mean, he floats that bike through corners. He is brilliant on it he's got a combination a team set up and a riding style that absolutely suits to to junk all of that and go off not on a whim because it's not i'm sure he will have thought about it over many years to motor gp if it's a burning desire he's got and he can't live without actually doing it then he'll have to do it but i don't think jonathan is is there for that i think he's i think he'll finish his time in world supervise mm. guessing <laughs> That's all he could do. Um, yeah, and of course, the question mark now is Toprak, isn't it? Toprak's in a very different position. And we know that he wants to be a World Superbike champion before he goes to MotoGP. And now it looks like he has an excellent chance of becoming that champion this year. You know, does that mean that something could yet happen for next year in MotoGP? I'm unsure on that. I think that the, the, the big thing holding back there is this the spec of the bike isn't it you know it seems like that there will only be these three factory Yamahas I don't think Toprak's going to move across on a year old bike why, why should he as we've mentioned there's enough reasons you know why he will want the latest equipment and feel he deserves it and it's, it's strange it's almost like sometimes MotoGP wants Toprak more than Toprak wants MotoGP he seems quite <laughs> casual about it doesn't he uh, you know he, he's, uh, a lot of it's got to be down to Keenan Keenan Sofoglu. I mean, I love the spat between Keenan Sofoglu and Alasia Spargro. Two men at the opposite ends of the of the um, empathy scale. I love it. You've got Alasia Spargro, who's in touch with his buddy, you know, whatever he's in touch with. But it, 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 he, he's he's the one that got to have safety, got to have this, got to have that, got to you know, everybody's got to be wrapped in cotton wool, you know, rah 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 rah. And he has every right to ask for the things he asks for as a professional sportsman, of course. But then you've got the other side of the scale, 
particularly at the moment where Keenan Sofoglu has um, come out in the defence of Dennis Onchu, who got the two-race ban because he wiped um, you know half the field out in, in one go. And you know what? This is going to be controversial, and I will stick my neck above the turret because I don't care. Um, Dennis Onchu got penalised severely, but you feel almost like he was made an example of because I've seen worse moves than that. I have seen more moves than that. Then the one thing that annoys the absolute hell out of me, and I was going to swear, but I know we have youngsters listening as well. You know, this inconsistency, this, this, you know, one minute we're down on draconian, you know, penalties for the likes of Onchu for the move he made. Yeah, he did. He did pinch a bit of his breaking line. But I have seen that so many bloody times from Valentino Rossi, from Mark Marquez, particularly when he was in the smaller classes. I know we've moved on a bit since then and our awareness in the rules and our awareness has is, is, is changed slightly through through management. Onchu, Keenan Sofwell came out in defence and basically said, yeah, youngsters, they do that. Um, I suppose where he's wrong is it's off the back of three, four youngsters that we know of, that Filipino that was killed in Thailand just a couple of weeks ago um, as well in the, the 150 underbone races. Um, I think coming off the back of that is a little bit insensitive of Keenan to perhaps go public with such a comment. But I can understand where he's coming from. And I can understand, I, I believe there will be more people that will think like Keenan than, than are actually holding their hand up at the moment. Aleish is the one on the opposite side. And you know, thank words to the effect of, I can't remember what they were now, but something along the line, thank, thank heavens we don't have this guy in the, in the MotoGP paddock. Well, ha, you might be getting him in the MotoGP paddock soon if Top Rack gets the right ride. And I can see momentum behind Razgadioglu to come into um, the MotoGP paddock. There will be a way at some stage. Interesting conversations as well. Um, Frankie Carcetti eventually made it to BSB. He was supposed to be coming to Alton Park. You remember the uh, the Jake Dixon? Is he going oh, to yes. BSB or is he, um, is he going to Moto2? He turned up at, um, at Brands Hatch and was giggling with me about it because I, I broadcast that he was at Alton Park. He said, I weren't. I was watching it on telly. <laughs> 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 so um, they they basically got uh, Jake Dixon into a Moto2 ride, obviously. Um, that deal's done. But some very interesting comments that came about developments on motorbikes um, and how the Ducati, from a, his perspective, and believe me, he's got a better perspective than any of us have got because he's in there all the time, how that Ducati is just, he said, that bike, with the right guy on it or the right momentum behind it should be winning everything. It's so far ahead in development. The, the, the whole shot device. I mean, just, I love it when I talk to someone who's on the ground, who knows what they're talking about. When you talk about the whole shot device, we all go, yeah, the whole shot device. Yeah. That's, that's gets you off the line and all the rest of it, you know, and, and then we can't kind of work out why that bike is going so well in a straight line. What can, why does it go so well in a straight line? I mean, I never really worked that out, but as it sits down, it takes the rider out of the wind a little bit. And here comes the real trick that we all should have thought about because it, ain't, it, ain't, it is rocket science, but it ain't rocket science, really. As it sits down, it alters the angle of attack of the wing. So you, it's its own drag reduction system uh-huh. because it doesn't – you've got less drag. As it sits the back down of the bike, you've got less drag. And, and again, exponentially, you know, the, the drag is everything the faster you go. The faster you go, the more drag you've got on anything, car, bike, bloody push bike, whatever it might be. So when you're reducing drag by lowering the thing down at the back, and I went like a thicko. I remember I, I, was stood in the, I stood in the camp going, oh, yeah. 
it's actually quite obvious really when you think about it it moves the moves the rider down so that the flow of air over him is a is a is a better flow of air and it reduces the attack of the wings on the front of the bike so the wings on the front of the bike when it's in a uh, you know in a braking situation in a corner situation it's giving you the kind of downforce you really need but the second you drop the old drag reduction thing flattens it out and you've you've got a smooth motorbike through the brilliant absolutely brilliant Ducati as well, the way they've got over the you 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 must mechanically manually um, activate this thing. You can't it can't be done electronically. How they've got over it? Anybody that's raced motorbikes in the in the past will remember that you you always put an O ring over your fork leg, don't you? The difference, of course, is is that fork legs are up the other way nowadays compared with the ones I had. <laughs> they're now what what we used to call a long time ago upside down forks so the, the the thick bit is up the top and the bit that goes in and out is underneath whereas it used to be the other way around in the old days but either way um you always put an o-ring on on your fork leg so that you can see how much compression where you are actually compressing that that fork to under braking good old Gigi delinea and the and the boffins at bloody ducati have worked out a way of hydraulically triggering this thing to go down. So when the fork, when you're when you're accelerating, when the forks extend, so the tube comes out, it gets to a point and triggers the back end down. And likewise, when you hit the brakes, slots back in. Bing, oh my! The problem that Suzuki have is because they're in incarnation number one of the of the of the um, whole shot device is that say somewhere like Mizano, turn ten, you come out of turn ten, it sits down. But, of course, you don't hit the brakes when you get to Cavone, which is turn 11, which is 145, 50 mile an hour through Cavone. And the last thing you freaking need is the back end sitting down when you get in there. So if it hasn't released, you're in big trouble and giving you the balance back of the bike because you are flying through that particular part of the course at Mizano, where we're going next. Um, so Suzuki can't use it. And Suzuki's is heaviest. It's two and a half kilos or something, whereas everybody else's is like half that weight now. So despite the fact Frankie Carcetti took a bloody long time to get the VSB paddock, he was quite useful when he got there. <laughs> They're a smart bunch, those uh, those Ducatis. Uh, well, did you get any update on, on Jake Dixon? Did he give you anything? No, I mean, I, it, again, and because it's a friend situation. Ah, uh, yeah. I, it's always, it's always I, I mean, like, it all comes out in the wash. I mean, I think sometimes... I, I, this is where I get annoyed a little bit with social media and the media in general is that everybody's falling over themselves to bloody well spit the details out there when really do we need to? It's just a competition in the yeah, media. Yeah, it'll come it? out. Get it out there first. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think we're all going to know in good time and we're all going to get it and we're all going to you know see where it goes. I mean, I think I've just bloody buried Frankie Carcetti <laughs> for giving me information on <laughs> stuff just now. So you know, the last thing I want to do is bloody um, blurt out something before they've had the yeah, official release. Yeah. And then, and then, and again, as as do I consider myself a journalist now? I mean, if you leak stuff, you never get the stories ever again. So <laughs> keep your powder dry. I think is the name of the game. Unless Pete's got something that's official. <laughs> no, nothing official. No, no, no. Uh, the the rumor at Cota was uh, Dixon will be with the Aspar team, which he was with when he first came into Moto Two. So uh, we we will wait for something official. 
Well, Keith's rumour corner. That's uh, that segment over for the for this week. Actually, and just to cut, it might not be over yet. No, you know, it might be. Yeah. Over. Well, actually, it's funny we talk about media. We spoke about Alicia Spargo. I saw those tweets and I screenshot them because I knew they'd come in handy. Just because I knew I thought they might pop up. He he was a bit feisty. It was great. Uh, we do have a bit of drama. Alicia's the most feisty man. I mean, Alicia's the kind of guy that you can imagine at some stage in the United Nations or somewhere. You know, he'd be fighting for some fight it, yeah. cause. Oh, good on him. We all need a bit of yeah, but, emotional but he's himself. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about Aleish is he'll answer any question and he'll give you an, a straight answer. He'll tell you what he thinks. And he knows that not everyone's going to agree with him, but he'll tell you anyway. And, and you know, whether you agree with that or not, that's the sort of person, you know, Keith was talking about the different paddocks and, the, you know, the corporate nature of certain things. This is what you want. You want riders to give their opinion freely, whether... People are going to agree with that or not. So, and Alicia will always do that. You'll, there's very few occasions where you'll say, "Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not touching that question." So, yeah, I, th- I think you know he's happy to sort of roll his sleeves up and and get involved in social media. He's one of the few riders, of course, who who does his social media himself. You know, there's Ooh. a lot of people that they have people that do it for them, of course. So. We love Alish. He has a, he doesn't have a man that does it for him. <laughs> It always makes mean. me laugh. That, that, it makes me laugh. The helmet polishers. I love the helmet <laughs> polishers in the paddock. There is a special person just to polish your helmet. <laughs> an hour, an hour. Well, what um, is the, what's the are the rates good? Uh, I've got some free time at the moment. <laughs> unbelievable, honestly, Harry. You wouldn't believe really? it. I mean, we're talking about forty or fifty grand for a helmet helmet polisher. I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong career. <laughs> Absolutely in the wrong career. Um, we started this conversation just to bring it back with Top Brack and possibly his MotoGP starts. And Barry Allen has asked a direct question. So Pete, I think you've made your opinion pretty clear on that. You don't think he's going to accept a, a, a less than a below a less than, well, a below par seat in MotoGP. But Barry has asked Keith. Uh, Hi guys, love the I love the podcast. My question is: If Top Brack wins the Superbike title, do you think he will fill the fourth Yamaha seat in MotoGP? I don't think I think he'll have a defence in World Superbike. Much to my annoyance, I've got to say, because I don't agree. I think he should go to MotoGP while he's hot. Mm. There are not a lot of bloody chances in MotoGP. You know, Keenan. I understand Keenan. He's a tough guy, Keenan. Um, he's a ruffian um, of that of the supersport mould. Um, Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whatever bike he rode in MotoGP, MotoGP management, MotoGP people, see what the talent is. If you're finishing in 10th place, they are seeing whether you are maximizing your potential. If he came there and was a you know 10th place man all the time, they would know whether that was down to the bike or down to the rider. It ain't going to be down to the rider. I think, I think you know, Rascali Oglu has got great potential. And he's got that kind of feel for a motorbike at the moment when the thing is out of control, it's still in control. And I love that. You know, he's, he's just got that special quality that you don't see very often. And that will translate really well across the MotoGP. Mm. Um, I don't understand Yamaha. I've never understood the way that Yamaha go about their business. They always seem to be too little, too late with everything they do. It always seems to be late. You know, the only reason we got the Patronus team is because the bloody factory team was getting his ass kicked everywhere and they wanted a team that was going to be a ladder for new talent and also to, to sort of develop a, a, a separate strategy from the main factory team. But it was too late. You know, the the, the test team, I know we got wrapped up in pandemics and all the rest of it, so I, I shouldn't perhaps go there quite so harshly. But the, it all, again, the test team, what bloody test team? Did they do any? You know, it, it, it's just, it never seems to, Yamaha always seemed to be slightly behind the game. Ducati manage it, and next year it's going to be a nightmare for everyone. How many Ducatis have we got on the grid? They're going to be pumping some bikes out that are worth having, um, you know, and picking up eight bike data as opposed to, you know, three and a half bike data if you like at Yamaha. It just just doesn't seem right. Suzuki are vulnerable at the moment. I think I don't think Suzuki's developments are looking all that sharp. I think Suzuki have relied on the same bike for a while, really. Um, and they might find themselves in trouble for next year. You know, there's been a lot of development going on, chassis-wise, aero-wise, cooling-wise, all the bits and pieces that you know, hardly look anything from, a, from a, a quick glance, but a lot of stuff's going on. And when we get the engine developments come on for next year, it's going to be interesting. And engine development, it can, it can affect everything. I mean, a good example of it is Josh Brooks. I mean, again, we go back to the BSB situation. I've been very lucky to be, this is the access you get at BSB. You know, here he is, Josh Brooks, multiple winner. Um, he didn't win a race at the weekend. And this is the first year since 2012, Josh Brooks has not won a race in the season. And the reason for that, when they got their new motors, the new Ducati motors, he tells me, now I didn't ask Paul Bird, who would probably, you know, say this isn't the case. 
because he's spending 25 grand a motor and he's got 18 of them sat on his workshop floor. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that Brooks says that the upgrades that they've got, the new motor that they've got, doesn't allow him to ride it the way he wants to ride it. They've made all the chassis adjustments they can make and all the things that they've tried, but the motor operates in a manner that doesn't allow him to ride the motorbike in the way that he wants to ride it. And I think the reason I'm mentioning that is, is because that's what we're going to see a lot of next year. All these developments that are coming through, people have been altering a little bit of chassis, you know, a little bit of aero, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, fine-tuning everything and getting it ready for the whatever you know power plant development they've got for next year. But we're going to see a real difficult early start to the season when because there's not got much testing to do this all this new stuff is going to be like you know it's almost gonna be like run what you brung uh, when we when it went once we get to qatar and they they shut off the the limit i think i said last time i think they should should have a later limit i think they should have you know be allowed to develop everyone should be allowed to develop in the first two or three meetings in 2022 so we do see the full potential of what people have got not just rely on the you know we raced it in qatar so bang you know clamp it all together, put a seal on it. And that's what you, that's what you've got to use for the rest of the year. I think that's the wrong way to go after such a long technical freeze. And we've personally. seen, and we've seen this before Keith with Suzuki, which is maybe why they're a little bit cautious after Vinales won their first race during that great season he had, they lost concessions. So then they joined the other factories with the technical freeze and they went the wrong way with the engine. They chose the wrong engine. They went with a sort of the internals were a lot heavier. They had Alex Rins coming in as a rookie, Ian Oni coming in, uh, Rins got injured in his first test, I remember, at Valencia, so he was sort of out of the way. They picked an engine, and then they got into the season and realized, I think, the, basically, the internals, they made them a bit heavier to make it a bit smoother, but it caused them problems. And then they were stuck with it for the entire season. So exactly what you're saying, Keith, that if you go the wrong way during this winter testing, you've got to somehow then do what you can to patch that, you know, work around the problem. But really, they didn't. They weren't able to solve that problem until they had a new engine the following year. So I think maybe that's also just at the back of their mind at Suzuki that they don't want to do the wrong step again. And, but maybe the risk of that is that you can be too careful. And we've seen that, that Mia, you know, let's be honest, as a reigning champion, we expected him to, to be winning races this year, didn't we? You know, he's now staring down the barrel of, of, of not winning a race as, as the reigning champion. And I think he's there's some frustration there from him because he's been saying things like, I feel I'm riding better. Well, that can only mean that, that the bike has not improved at the same rate as the others, doesn't it? So I think that there is, there's, there's a lot of question marks at Suzuki, you know, that there's expectation from the riders. They want to do better. Rins is under pressure after these mistakes he's made this year as well. So I think there's some big decisions to make over this winter. And, uh, you know, the, that fine line of making a big step, but don't take the wrong step. Oh. Tricky one, that's for sure. I think I'd better put a call into Danny Aldridge, technical director at Erta, at, um, and see what what they've got up their sleeve. Because they're a clever bunch of people. They're not they're not going to leave the teams in a situation. Of course, the manufacturers will have to agree to whatever they decide to do when it comes to a rule situation. Basically, the manufacturers underwrite the rules and then it is interpreted and put in the rule book by, you know, the likes of Danny Aldridge and Erta and, and Dorna, they they kind of sanction what the what the manufacturers have collectively decided is correct in the way of the process. If we remember back that, you know, talking about snappy motors, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Honda, Repsol Honda motor is the snappiest of them all. And at the end of the day, when they went to the spec electronics, Honda didn't want to go there at all. And from that point inwards, it was out onwards, it was only bloody Marquez who could ride the sodding thing because it was like 
you know one of the hardest bikes in the world to run with that slightly less sophisticated electronics package that was um, voted through in the end. What was that story? I, I, I always smile at this one, you know, like it was Honda, Honda to Carmelo Espeleta, the CEO at Dorna was, um, well, you know, if, 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 if you sort of force upon us the electronics package, then we'll go to um, World Superbikes and, um, and concentrate our efforts in World Superbikes. But at that time, I think unbeknown to many, Dorna had just gained the rights to World Superbikes, <laughs> which was, well, all right, if you want to then. <laughs> um, which I, it did make me smile at the time. Internal politics behind the scenes. Well, here's a question for you from uh, Will and Jan on this. She's gone, hi, guys. If Dorna wanted to attract more manufacturers, uh, wouldn't it be a good idea like this season to give the manufacturers without concessions a development freeze for a year so other brands can fill the gap like Aprilia did this year? Well, we've, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. You know, that's how it is, isn't it? It's actually like that because of the... The brands that are, that are getting on the podium lose concessions, and the ones that haven't get them um, in a roundabout kind of a way. I understand. I mean, Dorna have, have been very good over the years. In, in fact, MotoGP, I mean, there was less money going to the factory teams than went to, say, Padgett's of Batley. Great, great family, great store. If you don't know anything about Padgett's of Batley, you've got to look it all up because Peter and Don Padgett, the two brothers, um, and Clive Paget of late, of course, fantastic people, responsible for bringing on so many domestic races and so on and in Grand Prix. But for an example, Pagets would get 1.5 mil for running a, a, a team as a, as, a, as a package to, to go racing in Grand Prix and the factory boys would get a million. You know, it was lopsided. It's not like in bloody race in Formula One, Harry, where the, the richest team, which is Ferrari get the most money and the most concessions to do whatever they want to do because of the Concord agreement, whatever that is. Um, and, and you end up in a situation where the balance is all wrong. Um, but in MotoGP, it's, it's been right for some years. And I think Dorna, you know, CRT series, I mean, you can go, I hated CRT absolutely with a passion. The claiming rules teams. I mean, even the name is rubbish. <laughs> CRT. Anyway. But it was there for a reason. It was a it was a transition to get us into a better position. I couldn't see it, but I'm dim. Carmelo Espeleta, Dorna had got it all worked out. And look where we are now because of the way they have, I'll use the word manipulated, but I mean it in a positive term rather than a negative term. They manipulated the technical rules to get us to where we are across all three classes, Mono 3, Mono 2, Mono GP. I, I, I get asked all the time. I mean, the great thing, again, about BSB paddocks is you you are... You know, you can wander around and you actually get a real fans kind of, you know, they ask you the questions that you, you don't normally get asked. And and it's fantastic to be able to do, to, to, to relay kind of where you see things going and understand how the fans see it as well. And I think that Dorna are recognised as doing a great package, but I think that they, they could do some things better. And we'll wait and see whether they've got that in hand. And I mean, I think that the, the development for the for the the lesser teams, is it a lesser team? I, I, it's, you can't even call it that. Anything that's within, you know, mostly a second of what the very fastest bikes are doing, is that a lesser team? You know, the the you allow a, a, a team like Aprilia this a concession too far, and they'll rule the roost. Mm. You know, they'll you know, allow them too much, and they will be the best and fastest motorbike. Um, so you've got to be so careful what you do, and it is a real you know, high wire that, that 
Danny Aldridge and the rest of the technical guys have to walk to make sure that people get what they need to do the best they can do and, and, and not get too much. I think the concessions, are, uh, as you say, they're, they're vitally important for you. You've got to balance keeping the manufacturers that are already in the sport happy and trying to make it accessible to new guys coming in, haven't you? Because it was so long where there was always rumours about other manufacturers coming in, but they didn't because they look at the job that they faced in trying to match the guys at the front of the grid at that stage. And they would just go, you know what, it's, it's just too big, you know. And so the claiming rule teams, as you, I think, I think Dorna felt when they introduced the CRT that they felt a bit let down by the manufacturers because they kind of set, let the manufacturers have their own way. And then suddenly there was this situation where there wouldn't be enough bikes on the grid. And so it was like, well, you know, we've left you to it. And now we're in a situation where it was borderline. They would have enough bikes to run a world championship. So I think that was the moment where they went, look, we're going to take control of this. We're going to fill the grid with superbike powered CRT bikes, as you say. But not only that, you know, that the 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 say on who go who, what bikes are on the grid, what spec they are, all these concessions will be worked out amongst us all, not just the manufacturers anymore. And I think it, it was that change that was the moment where sort of the power changed towards, let's say, the more racing side, the, the entertainment side, you might say, rather than just, well, we go racing because it's technical development. This is the products we want to sell. We have to have open electronic development and all these other things. You know, that was where Dorna started to move things towards, well, look, you know, you can have all that, but not at the expense of the racing and not at the expense of putting bikes on the grid. And I think the concessions have worked really well. I'm also surprised the Formula One hasn't gone down a similar route, to be honest. I think it would work there. Um, you might say the, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal maybe of the concession system would be to see a satellite rider win a world championship. That might be the moment where you say, you know, everything is right. Now, obviously, the best riders tend to go to the factory teams because that's where the money is and everything else. But, you know, we saw we saw in 2020, Franco Morbidelli and, and Quattararo, they almost did it. You know, so they proved that the rules are, are pretty equal between the, the factories and the satellite teams. And now we're seeing also we've seen, well, Suzuki, we've seen KTM come through the concession system and go on to win races. We're seeing Aprilia rising up as well. So I think I think it's working pretty well. The big question mark is, as Keith raised before, we've had a, this extended technical freeze. This is where the, we're in a unique situation. It's not the normal technical freeze that was brought up in the question of just one season. This has been going back since the start of 2020. So we don't quite know what to expect when everything is unleashed at the end of this year and ahead of next season. No, well, uh, thank you, Willem, for that question. Uh, great debate, as ever. Um, now, before we move on to uh, looking uh, properly ahead to this weekend's racing action, uh, there's just to be a bit, little bit of update of news, hasn't there, Pete, uh, with what's going on uh, with the World Anti-Doping uh, Agency in, in Indonesia and Thailand. They have confirmed that the national flags of Indonesia and Thailand cannot be officially displayed at MotoGP World Superbike F1 or rather any kind of major motor racing event until non-compliance has been lifted. That's right, yes. As, as we spoke previously, I, I contacted Wada, because it's such a wide range in this non-compliance. It covers all sport, you know, from Olympic Games downwards. So I was just interested, obviously, in the motorsport side, and, and particularly MotoGP. Um, and yeah, they, they confirmed, firstly, that, that the events that are already in place, so we've got the Indonesian World Superbike Round coming up in, in a month's time, and, and then... In March, their, their MotoGP round, Thailand in next October, those will stay in place because they're already agreed, if you like, because the, the non-compliance consequences, as they call them, punishments, you might say, uh, include the fact that you can't sign up for, for more 
new events. So they're already signed up. So that's not an issue. Also, the competitors, it doesn't affect them. Thai riders, Indonesian riders, they can still compete. No problems there. Then it comes down and some of the other consequences are national anthems are fine, but it seems you can't officially display flags. So, again, it's not going to be a massive issue apart from a podium ceremony. So, you know, it, it's not the end of the world. Obviously, it's a fine line. What I want to have enough consequences that people do stick to, let's say, following the code, the, the anti-drug doping code, as they should. So there has to be some downsides to, to not following it. Um, now, as we see with, with Thailand, it's more of a procedural thing. They need to they need to legally adopt the latest sort of updates to the code. So that I'm hearing about three or four months that should be done. So maybe this would all be cleared up for them before Borium next year. Indonesia, it's a bit more complicated because it's something to do with their testing samples and schedules that could be a lot longer and so it'll be interesting to see what happens at, at the upcoming world superbike and motor gp rounds um because this is as you say officially is the word so of course you can have riders waving flags of their own the grandstands with all the fans could be waving flags on the other hand do you really want to upset wada too much when you're trying to get lifted from this sort of non-compliant stage it, it'll be a bit of a tightrope to walk there i think you know they have to be a little bit careful but at the moment, until the, because there are multi-year agreements, there's plenty of time to sort this out, really. It would only be a big issue if they hadn't have signed the World Superbike Agreements, the MotoGP Agreements, before this ruling, because then, in theory, that would have been delayed. So we're not in that situation yet. They're multi-year deals. So I, th I think they'll be okay. But yes, it'll be, uh, as long as we don't, well, Chantra, Somkiat Chantra, he's at, I think, fifth place this year. So it's not impossible that he could be on the podium in the remaining rounds, but it looks unlikely. Um, Istahar in, in Moto3, I, I think he's he's been in the points a couple of times. But so, yeah, I don't think we're going to see any big, big impact of this just yet. From my point of view, if you want a, an efficient, proper anti-doping process then you have to comply with wada you have to you know it's a world body with recognized procedures otherwise you go back to the wild west mm. you know i i don't understand how how these things don't happen i, I probably do actually in thailand because you and i Pete, obviously live there so we kind of understand that you've only got to look at the rollout of their bloody vaccine program if there was an actual vaccine program no one can be sure um, but they're still struggling away over there at the moment. And, and it, the country's in dire straits over certain things, that being one of them. So I can understand how procedures have not been followed because it's just the way it is there. It's like, the, you know, but WADA is the, is the gold standard. You know, at the end of the day, you want a worldwide recognised system for making sure uh, doping is crushed. You know, there's no way that any athlete should have any advantage ever through artificial substances and that's always been my view and and i would support wada all, all the way yeah i think it'd be difficult to, to disagree with that well make sure you keep up to date with all uh, of that for that and all the latest news on uh, crash.net and all the articles up there uh, updated all the time by mr pete mclaren uh, who's on top of everything moto gp and motorcycle uh, racing right um let's look forward now to uh, some on track action we're back again this weekend uh, in misano once again for the emilia romagna grand prix this time um now keith I, I know you've already done an insider's guide technically for this racetrack but what are you ex what are you hoping for this weekend we've had a little bit of a break now uh, we've gone from a quite a bumpy different track in code so we're back on familiar territory for well all of the riders 
while we were talking wider then i was trying to get my phone app to work for the weather but obviously i've lost all the capability of being able to press <laughs> buttons as well as actually talk you know. <laughs> after bsb <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all about whether um whether the weather is going to be compliant or not and that makes a massive difference at uh, Mizano. I've, I've got the weather do you um, want to know what it is yeah so go. qualifying saturday well friday saturday looks pretty rainy sunday dry but cold well you see that you know if your free practice and qualifying is in the wet and you suddenly got you know some dry time in the morning on sunday in the warm-up that, you, that will be cool anyway with loads of you know, all the rubber washed out the track. It's going to be a very, very difficult weekend in those circumstances. Almost better the other way around. So you've had some dry time and got got some pace and some setup. But whether you're transiting from from wet to dry or dry to wet, it's a tricky thing for the teams. And I mean, particularly, you know, setup wise, tire wise, and the like in those early sessions. They're so important. FP one and two, you know, so massively important. Um, not a track that that is a favourite when it comes to being wet, I've got to say. You know, it's again, it depends on on how that surface is coping with the precipitation. Um, wouldn't be one of my favourites. No, well, I think a lot of riders might agree with you there. And Pete, what do you think about this weekend? Obviously, we've got 10,000 extra fans, actually, uh, for this one compared to the last one. And very, very apt because it will be, of course, Valentino Rossi's final, final race in his uh, hometown, home country. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I think I think the retirement decision. You know, when Rossi announced it after the summer break, he said, "You know, it doesn't quite feel real because there's still a lot of racing to go." And he said, "Probably when I get to Valencia, then it'll hit me," kind of thing. Well, I think it'll become real this weekend. You know, on Sunday when he does takes the checkered flag, the last racing lap in front of his home fans. I think I think then it will sink sink in that yeah, you know, it's there's not not many races left for him and um yeah it's, it's great news that they've got more fans in it's still only a fraction of of what it was pre-covid let's say i think there was about 90 well over 90,000 for race day in 2019 um so i think they can have 35,000 can't they uh that's 10,000 more than the previous Mizano round um it's quite interesting it was only sold out on the on the sunday at the previous round so it was a bit of a surprise that so they they didn't hit the 25,000 limit for qualifying but i think this weekend with it being Rossi's last race as you say um, you know, there'll be a lot of fans there making it making it a special occasion for him. Also, Petrucci's last race, um, you know, for the foreseeable future anyway. It looks like he's off to the Dakar. You've got Dovi. He raced in the first Mizano round, of course, but then he, then there was the test. So this is the first time he's going back to a track he knows on the Yamaha. That could be interesting. All the Italians, Bagnaios needs to beat Quattararo to keep the championship alive. Bastianini on the podium, wasn't he? That shock podium last time out. Marini, his teammate, didn't have a great race, but he was then fast at the test. So I think for all the Italians and all the all the home fans, if you like, it, it, it'll be a big weekend. 35,000 fans and 35,000 police to keep the other 60,000 fans out. <laughs> That's how it's going to be. Because the, the Yellow Army coming over from Tavulia on the, on the weekend, just the, the six Ks up the road, is going to be manic. 100% is going to be absolutely crazy. Um, I've it's going to be a real job to keep people out of there because you know what the Italians are like. They've got a bit of passion in their veins and uh, there'll be no stopping them. They'll be there trying to find tickets through touts or whatever it might be or climbing over or under fences. They're, they're artists when it comes to breaking into racetracks. Um, so it'll be, it is, it's going to be a manic weekend for sure. And Valentino, sadly, you know, his performances have, have 
have gone with that retirement ticket. Once you've got retirement over the door, once you've once you've made that decision, you've lost that edge, and he really does appear to have completely lost the edge for for being up amongst the top ten. Um, it's, it's it's devastatingly sad for me. Completely different class and completely different um, situation. And back at good old BSB, you can tell I've been doing some work on Brit Superbike, <laughs> can't you? Um, Taylor McKenzie. So we have Taron McKenzie, who's just won his um, for his first BSB title, 25 years since his dad won his um, first of the modern era BSB titles. So that was all very headline and all the rest of it. But if you think back to Donington Park, couple of weeks ago when uh, Taylor McKenzie from 31st on the grid in the uh, Pirelli National Superstock Series, which is all but superbikes with a little less power and slightly not slick tyres. Um, he decided, the older brother to Taron, decided to retire and, and he won the race from 31st on the grid. No one expected him to, to win the race, to go to the podium and to quite, I mean, all of us were stunned by it. Obviously the family knew, but he announced that the, that he would retire at the end of this race. So Brands Hatch was his final event, final race. And the reason I'm saying that is it's impossible for a rider, whether they're retiring, whether they're staying, whatever, to push themselves to do something that they can't do, whether it be because of the mechanics, whether it be because of the, the, the situation they're in there. You can't force yourself to win a race. It is what it is all the time. So whatever is in... Taylor's case of Brands Hatch in his final ever ride, a racing ride, or Valentino's at his final ever home event, to pull something special out of the bag is virtually impossible. It's just not possible in in the circumstances. You can't, you know, I've won championships, uh, an event before the end, and then gone to Brands Hatch, the final round, usually in domestic championships here. I've gone to Brands Hatch yeah, I'm going to win it. I'll pump myself up and you know, I'm really ready for it. And we put everything on the bike and we rebuilt the cranks and put new tires, everything you need to, to make the thing work. And I finished fifth. Really annoying. I tell you, it's really, really annoying. You, you should have, you know, you've won the championship anyway, so you ought to be able to beat all these guys. You know you can, and yet you don't. And it's it's kind of, it's almost like you relax too much. You can't force yourself to do you can't force yourself to put it on the edge on the line and i i just feel that valentino has has got to that point baby jew you know everything happy in his world team sorted for next year retirement announced all these things are done and he's he's almost it's going through the motions isn't he towards the end of the season in in a strange way though keith do you think that that might actually make for a happier retirement in the sense that he he knows there's no wins left in him you know, we yeah, talk about guys winning their last races. Yeah. And then you think after about six months, do they they forget all those hard bits of racing, all that pain and misery they were. And they just see that guy that they were beating and he's now winning. And they're like, I could do that. Whereas I think Rossi, you know, he'll sit back and go, you know what? There's no wins left in me. You know, I, I, I went as long as I could. So I actually think, although let's say it's a bit of a painful final season for him, that maybe in the long run, it will actually make his retirement a bit more bearable, shall we say. It's a last lap exhibition session, isn't it now? I think a uh, wave to the crowd and pull some brilliant wheelies. I think he's an exception, Valentino Rossi, obviously. His career has been so long and so, you know, unbelievably gold standard in so many ways. He, you know, half these kids nowadays are earning money just because Valentino Rossi has brought the sport to a level that um, the world recognises. And that's, 
yeah, his legacy is is more than just his race wins and his championships. It's it's the whole sport um, is grateful to Valentino Rossi, and they should be. And I am. I mean, television, bloody everything, you know, is is basically because of Valentino Rossi. Barry Sheen before him, he was another icon that that kind of moved it um, beyond its its natural barriers, if you like. Uh, natural spectators, natural fans, and Valentino's done exactly the same thing. Um, much later, obviously, but yeah, I still, I, from a rider perspective, though, I, it's 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 sad to see Valentino sort of languishing where he is. Um, my my, I just hope he doesn't hurt himself in any way. Because even though I'm saying he's languishing, I'm talking like he's a dolloper and going around sort of. He's not. He's still going bloody fast, and he's still there or thereabouts. You know, if he was a youngster that was putting in the performances he's putting in, you'll be going, oh, this kid could be quite good. You know, it's kind of, we mustn't write him off completely, of course, but it's just not Valentino Rossi. If he's not vying for that podium, then, oh, what a dream that would be to to your home, to be on the podium at your final home Grand Prix. Oh, I, honestly, I, can, yeah. I, I think there would be a bottle of Jack going down my neck at that stage. <laughs> well, Keith, you, you brought up the, the weather. To anybody listening, either, <laughs> by the way, a celebratory drink, no problem. You, you brought up the weather, Keith, and you, think back to Austria pouring down with rain. You know, the guy that's retiring at the end of the year is one of those that stays out on slick tires in, in impossible conditions, and was briefly, wasn't he, in the top three? So it's going to take something exceptional like that. But you know, with wet, wet, wet weather races, or certainly even worse, if you like half-wet races, which it sounds like there's a chance of this weekend. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? It's MotoGP in 2021. You can't rule anything out, really. And uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But, boys, uh, predictions, please. Top three. Pete, come on. I'll give Keith a bit more more thinking time because he's got a slower brain today. (laughs) So, Pete, you you can go first. Who's your top three for this weekend? (laughs) So, so this one is an well, if you like, an easier one in the sense that we're going back to a track that we went to not long ago, isn't it? So, you know, we saw Pecco and and, and Quattararo with the two class acts there. You know what? I'm going to change the order of it though. I think that Quattararo this time round can get the better of Banyaya. I think obviously he needs to beat Banyaya basically to win the title. So he's got that incentive. He also knows that if they both were happen to fall down, it's not the end of the world for Fabio, is it? Because he's got a 52-point lead. So I think that we'll see Fabio, certainly in the first part of the race, attacking to try and get the, the, the title wrapped up as soon as possible. Despite what anyone says, they always want to win the title and, and get it wrapped up, don't they? Because anything can happen. So I think, yeah, I'll go with, with Fabio turning the tables. I think the first race, there was more home advantage for, for Pecco. He'd been training at the track, Ducati test there. They've now had the race weekend for Yamaha to get the setup right with Fabio, and they had the post-race test, and now they're coming back. So I think that 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 could be enough for Fabio, again, being also fired up to get the, the job done this weekend. So I'll go Fabio for the win, Banyaya second, and, and third place, though, is the really difficult yeah. one, I think, for me. <laughs> I, I think there's so many. You, you know, Marquez was close, wasn't it? You've got to, you've got to believe that Marquez wants to get a podium on a clockwise circuit, shall we say, before the end of the year, just for his own peace of mind to know that the shoulder is getting better. But we saw Bastianini and we, we saw the pace he had. I think, as Keith said, he, he would have won the race if he'd have started better. So, you know what, I'll, I'll go with Bastianini because he's had two good races now. And I think if he, can, if he can qualify well, he could pull off another shot. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So I'll go Cotteraro, Banyaya, Bastianini. Do you know what? That's a good sporting bet, yeah. Peter. I've got to say, ballsy. <laughs> Quite <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like the Bastianini. I, I kind of, I was uh, with all of these things. I, I quite often lose these sweepstakes over a year because I quite like bunging people in that I think just might pull something out. I think you've just gone with one that uh, is a, is quite a ballsy bet on Bastianini. But I'm not going ballsy. I'm going Bangaya. Yeah. I'm going Marquez, and I agree with what you said a hundred percent, Pete. Um, and he's had that little bit of time off now. With um, uh, you know, he's 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 had a little bit more time to to get himself just incrementally fitter. So I'm going uh, Bang Naya, Marquez Quattararo. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was very tempted to also go the sporting bit and do Bastianini, but that's been the theme of my year so far, and why I'm languishing in our in our standings of three. Um, so I'm going to go for Bang Naya to win the race i'm gonna go quarteraro second and i was really tempted to put marquez after after initially bastanini marquez but you know what? then i'm gonna put miller in third for the final spot on the yeah. podium the weather yeah. the weather might might win you through on yeah that. so uh you better do it for me because i need the points because right now you right now you two are leading the way uh, and i'm about three behind uh, all right and actually he didn't give us his top three but michael laverty our, our guest last week also went for banyaya to win the race so uh we'll we'll see we'll, well we won't add him to the leaderboard but we'll see who gets it um now i know there's been lots of questions that have come in but we are really running over time but what i'm going to do is i'm going to save them and we're going to answer them next time because there's just a few and they're pretty they're, they're pretty general so don't worry if i haven't asked it answered your question or asked it we will get to it uh but gents that is all we have time for keith hugh and pete mclaren thank you very much as ever we shall return with you of course uh, next week uh, straight after the emilia romagna grand prix keith's off to bed to rest his hangover headache um in the meantime any questions uh do send them in we will always try and get them all asked eventually in all the usual ways in the comments tweet instagram facebook us just search crash moto gp and stay up to date on all the very latest uh, just head to crash.net and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well only if it's a nice one uh, and we shall see you right back here next week bye-bye <laughs>